How are you guys? Awesome. It's good to see you here today, and I want to especially welcome our audience online that is joining us through our live stream. It is such a privilege that you chose to be with us here uh, today, spend your morning with us. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about some of the challenges that I have faced uh, serving as a Hispanic female pastor for the last 20 years. Uh, some of those stories talked about uh, some of the hardest parts of my journey and how I have had to make the choice to endure during some of those hardest times. Uh, I think endurance is something that a lot of women in this congregation understand, how we have to press forward through the hard times. Uh, this congregation is full of uh, women professionals who are in several different fields, accountants, lawyers, uh, we have entrepreneurs, we have stay-at-home moms that run entire households. And um, the phrase that comes to mind when I describe these women is, I don't know how she does it. I'm one of those, I don't know how she does it, women. I uh, can get a lot done in very little time. Uh, if efficiency was an Olympic sport, I'd be like the next Michael Phelps, <laughs> winning all kinds of gold medals. Uh, last week alone, for example, I was writing this sermon, and I also decided that some areas in my house needed some deep cleaning. So with a sponge in one hand, I was bleaching some areas, and the other one I was reading the Bible, and then typing my sermon. I, you know, I have seen Pastor Eric only write his sermon with both hands, like such an amateur. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out to you. Of course, I did get sick from all the bleach, but I wasn't going to let a little nausea get in the way of my performance. I still had to do a lot of stuff. You would think that after doing all of this stuff, I would have gone to bed satisfied and thinking, uh, what a great day. But all I did is stare at the ceiling thinking about all the things I didn't get done, all the tasks that were yet to, com to be completed, uh, and I was still overwhelmed. I know there are a lot of overwhelmed, overworked, overextended people in this room here today. I know there's a lot, I don't know how she does it, women, and I don't know how he does it, men, who are feeling that they don't even have time to get sick. Got me thinking that the fact that we feel like we don't even have time to get sick could be a deadly disease in and of itself, right? That is one of the reasons why our passage today is so important. This is uh, the fourth, the fifth part in our series, uh, The Women Jesus Loved. And today we're going to be talking about Mary and Martha. Please open your Bibles in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. You can follow along on the screen or also read your study guides. This is what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. 
Mary has chosen the better, and he will not be taken away from her. Oftentimes, Martha is presented as the bad actor in the story. She's the one that just can't relax, the one who is overwhelmed, the one who's nagging everybody. But I don't really like the way in which we talk about Martha. Martha, Mary, and Jesus are presented in a different light in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 11, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I imagine that every time Jesus was headed to Jerusalem, he stopped at their home because they lived in Bethany, which was a little village that was just two miles away from uh, downtown Jerusalem. So Jesus was like the celebrity couch surfer friend that crashed with them all the time and who became like family to them. Another thing uh, that Martha probably was is, is a widow. Her parents are never mentioned in any of the stories, uh, so they, they were likely deceased. And, uh, but she is mentioned as the leader of this household. That's when uh, Jesus says in Luke, uh, the Bible says in Luke 10, 38, that Martha opened her home to him. So she probably was the widow that inherited that home. By the way, whenever Jesus showed up, he didn't show up alone. He showed up with all of his disciples. And in the chapter before the one that we're studying, it said that Jesus had deployed 72 disciples to go and spread the good news. So he was always followed by a lot of men. So he probably showed up with all of these people and their families. So Martha had a huge group to entertain. I can't imagine what a nightmare that must have been for Martha. <laughs> Clearly, it was important for her to offer good hospitality. And the responsibilities of being hospitable fell on women. Women were the ones who had to provide food and water for the guests, but they did not have clean water like we have it today. Back then, they had to go and fetch water from the well in the village, or they had to make the food themselves. They did not have a freezer full of snacks and desserts that they could just thaw for the guests. They did not have Central Market and HEV on speed dial for any hosting emergencies like we do today, right? Hospitality is also very important for me. Very important. I like people to feel at home when they come over. And whenever things are not going my way, whenever I feel that things are not coming together, the ones that pay the price are Eric and my children. <laughs> of course they are. A few weeks back, Eric shared about the way in which Mary, the mother of Jesus, used to give him the look whenever she wanted some stuff done. I also give Eric and my children the look whenever I want them to do stuff and things are falling apart. And that's what Mar Martha is doing with Mary as well. As she is fetching water, as she is preparing the snacks, she is giving Mary the look and wondering why she's so comfortable just sitting there while she's doing all the work. And she gets so frustrated, so irritated, that she actually has the audacity to ask Jesus to get Mary to help her. Hey, Jesus, can you get Mary to come and help me? And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but Mary chose the right thing, and I will not take it away from her. That's what Jesus tells her. To me, 
this part of the story used to feel like Jesus was upset at Martha, like he was condemning her behavior. And it took me a long time to realize that it was just my own voice putting those thoughts in my mind because that's not what's happening in this story. There's a different message. There's a different focus that Jesus is trying to center our view on. And that is the fact that he is fighting for Mary's and Martha's right to be by his side. If he would have gone with the norm of the day, what would have happened is that Martha and Mary both would have had all the responsibilities and nobody would have defended the right to sit at Jesus' feet. So Jesus is saying, please come and sit at my feet, listen to my teaching and rest in me. But because Martha is so stressed out about everything, the hosting, the food, the water, she's not able to really even understand this concept. That's why Jesus says it twice. Martha, Martha, come and rest in me. I used to hear condemnation in the second Martha, but the reality is that in, when Jesus says Martha, Martha, all he's trying to offer Martha is grace. He's trying to get her to relax by his side. I love what this author says about this interaction between Mar Martha, Mary, and Jesus. It says, what Martha was doing was by no means bad. It was not a bad thing. She was waiting on Christ and her other guests in a very practical and functional sense. She was acting as a servant to all, just as Christ has often commanded us. She no doubt began with the best of motives and the noblest intentions. But the moment she stopped listening to Christ and made something other than him the focus of her heart and attention, her perspective became very self-centered. At this point, even the service to Christ became tainted with self-absorption and spoiled by the very uncharitable failure to assume the best of her sister. Snapping out of the Martha mentality is very difficult. It's something that we all struggle with. Martha's most basic problem is that she had Jesus, the son of the living God, in her living room. And all she could worry about was how her sister wasn't helping her. Instead of sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teachings, she was stressed about getting everything right. Instead of worshiping Jesus, she was judging her sister. Instead of looking up to Jesus, she was looking down at her sister. And instead of thinking about how good Jesus is, she was thinking, obsessing about how bad her sister was. And I know that the, the Martha mentality threatens all of our relationships nowadays. Father, child, mother, child, father, child, spouses, siblings, friends. Because every single day, all of us have a choice. And the choice is we can either hold them accountable to our own expectations, to our own desires and wants, or we can, or we can hold ourselves accountable to Jesus. We, we can't have it both ways. We can either stand before the people that we love and judge them and make them feel like they're not meeting our expectations, or we can sit, sit at the feet of Jesus 
and surrender to him. I have so many expectations of my loved ones. And as I was writing this sermon, it became clear to me that most of those expectations have to do with what I want from them, what I need from them, and that very few of them have to do with them sitting at the feet of Jesus. I will easily stand before them and judge them and tell them that they're not doing things right, that they're not getting things done. And a lot of the times I see how some of these people that I love so much are doing things out of obligation instead of out of love. But when I take time to unplug from the stress, from the worry, from the fear, I notice that my number one priority is to sit at Jesus' feet. Whenever I have those times when I'm listening to his word, when I'm letting him transform me, when I'm letting him fill my cup, when I rest in him, are the times when I actually accidentally inspire others to follow him as well. And the things that keep me up at night, the things that I obsess about, the things that I can't get out of my mind naturally resolve themselves. And I don't have to force things. I don't have to worry. I don't have to obsess about things. And the good news today is that Martha did learn her lesson. And we get a glimpse on how she learned how to be more of a Mary in this passage here in John chapter 11. Please follow along on the screen again. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. Whenever Christians read this story, our focus tends to be on Lazarus, or how Jesus brought him back from the dead. And that is a powerful story, but it's a different sermon. What I see in this passage is the reversal or the original story. This time, they have a house full of guests all over again. And probably more guests than before because there are people who are coming to mourn the loss of their brother. And I'm sure Martha was playing hostess again. I'm sure she was fetching water. I'm sure she was preparing snacks. I'm sure she was making sure everybody had a comfortable place to be and stay. I'm sure she was trying to make sure everybody was putting coasters on the table, right? But the minute she hears that Jesus is coming, she runs to be by, by his side. 
She runs to be with him. And she leaves all the hosting behind, and she leaves it in Mary's hand, Mary's hands. And it is fascinating to me that the way in which Martha finally learned her priority. Martha broke the Martha cycle by being more like Mary. She decided that moment all she needed is Jesus. And I imagine this was the most stressful time in her life. She lost her brother, so she has to run to Jesus. The only way that all of us who are Marthas can break the Martha cycle is by having a Mary by our side. Because Mary taught Martha that the only way to break the Martha cycle is by fighting for the privilege to be at Jesus' side. By resting in him, by hearing his word. I thank every single day for the Marys in my life. They're a handful of my Marys. Like, I love them. But these are the people that remind me that I need to be a Mary before I'm a Martha. They're the ones that, that carry some of my burdens, that pray for me, and that encourage me to go and sit at Jesus' feet. And I'm going to tell you, these people are so valuable to me and Eric because the reality is that a lot of churches expect pastors to be Martha's 100% of the time. If I'm not careful, I'm one of those people who will have Jesus sitting in the middle of my living room and completely ignore him. These people also teach me that it's okay to be a Martha every now and then, but as long as I'm a Mary first. And they encourage me to seek Jesus so that my cup is filled and I can really be there for other people, that I can pour myself on other people. These people are also very committed in our congregation. These Marys are very committed in our congregation uh, to fighting for the story to create this Jesus culture in the middle of a very, very stressed Houston, right? They are the ones who every spring and fall season will come to us and say, okay, it's time to join my group. We all need to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him and grow with him. Come on, join my group. Let's all be at the feet of Jesus. They're so joyful. It makes me sick sometimes. <laughs> I got to be honest. <laughs> oh. There are a lot of Marys in our community. And um, I really thought about who I was going to share about today because it's, it's hard to choose. But I want to share about this precious couple that quietly serves so many people in, in this congregation and that makes such a huge difference in the lives of so many. Um, when they're here, they're front row, and they are front row. It never fails. They're always in the same seats. Uh, but when they worship, they worship. I mean, like I see all kinds of emotions. They will laugh. They will cry. They will smile. It's a joy to see them. And I, I, what I love about them is the way in which they seem to prioritize filling their cup with Jesus so that it overflows and they can serve so many other people so humbly and so completely. 
I see this pattern in them, and I've seen it for years now. And they do it quietly. Not a lot of people see them, but I see them all the time. Every week, whenever Erica and I are in our Martha mode and running from the stage to the front, to the back, to the front, to the stage, they're right there in the coffee bar, and they're smiling so big. And they're offering us fresh coffee, and they're reminding us that we have to open our eyes to all the miracles that are happening in our community. They share about the people they invited to church, or the people that just joined their group or their team. And I can't imagine things are easy for them. I mean, Morgan is a teacher. Spencer works for GE in some hard job, <laughs> I imagine. They work long hours. I know they work long hours. I know they are stressed out like most people. Sometimes they're stressed out, but the reality is that they prioritize worshiping Jesus, being with Jesus, filling their cup, and that's how they can pour it out so selflessly. So the other day, Eric and I show up to church under the bridge, and guess who we saw in front row? with big smiles, Morgan and Spencer. And we were, of course, in our Martha mode, all upset about how long the day was and just feeling stressed and worried because we had to do worship and we had to help. And they're front row, like already worshiping, praying with people. These are the Marys. These are the Marys in our community. When I see them, I'm reminded, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Why am I so worried? I need to worship. I need to be at Jesus' feet because Jesus has something prepared for me. And if my cup is not filled, there's no way that I can give to others. So you might be wondering, you know, sometimes how do these people do it? How can they be such a bright light that doesn't burn out? How can they share the love of Christ so, so unselfishly, so fully, so humbly? without resenting others who are not doing as much as they're doing. It is all because they have learned the hard lesson of putting Jesus first, of worshiping Jesus first, of sitting at his feet and resting in him. Resting in Jesus is a discipline. It's hard to do. The summer is over now. I don't know how that happened. I really don't. We're about to start a new season here in the fall. I want to tell you that the I don't know how she does it type of productivity and efficiency is a force. It's something that machines do. I want to tell you with a lot of love today that you are not a machine. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. And this fall, as you start a new season, I want to encourage you to start it by becoming a Mary. By sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his words, worshiping him resting in him so that when the challenges of this fall with kids, with school, with work start to just inundate our lives, we will have something to give. 
We will have our priorities right. We will have Jesus at the center of our lives. Let's not start this fall the way that we've started every other fall, which is by adding Jesus to everything else we already have going on. Let's start with Jesus and then add everything else. Because that's the only way to be a blessing to others. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, I want to thank you so much for this time that we have to take a deep breath to center around your word, to sit at your feet, to hear the whisper of your love, to put you first above all the worries and stresses of this world, to make you our number one priority. I pray that this season that is starting will be the season when you come first and everything else comes next. That we put you at the center so that our cup can overflow and we can be a blessing to the, to the people that we love and that you've given us. I pray that your word stays in our hearts and transforms us in every possible way. In your name we pray. Amen.